What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Wine and Politics Podcast, where we bring two people with differing points of view on the political spectrum together and try to find common ground, even if we disagree on most things, all while making sure you're drinking wine. This episode is really special because I get to interview a dear friend of mine, Dusty Wright, who is completely on the opposite side of the political spectrum as I am. So I'm really proud of the conversation that we had, and it's really refreshing to get to have a human-to-human conversation about our views and, again, to be able to find common ground. This episode was recorded before Roe v. Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court, so you will hear some references to that. Um, So, you know, if you're confused about the timing of any of it, that's why. But anyways, please listen, uh, enjoy it, and if you have any feedback, I welcome it. And if you like it, give this episode five stars and make sure to share it with a friend. Thanks, (laughs) y'all. Welcome back, friends. You to made that? I made that. I composed so that. <laughs> Thank you. This is what I did last summer. I thought it was going to be like maybe three beats, like do, 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 and then nope. you're ready. But I literally composed thing. that shit. Um, and this was what I did last summer when I was, well, this podcast was previously called the Uncanceled Podcast. I remember. Right. Now it's called Wine and Politics. Yeah. So I've rebranded it, but I kept my intro music. Yeah. That's a good one. You should keep it. Thank you. I also created an outro that's just like a little different. Do we get to hear that at the end? You do get to hear awesome. that at the end. <laughs> All right, everybody. My name is Jane Marie Barnes, and this is the Wine and Politics podcast, which was created to find common ground between both sides of the political aisle. I myself am conservative. That's no secret. And today I'm really excited to have this special guest on because he is a dear friend and is outspoken on the left side of the aisle. And I think he's the perfect person to talk to about just commonalities and what we can agree on as humans. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm definitely not conservative. Uh, yeah, I don't, I'm definitely left of the aisle. I'm someone that like, if I was the king of the country and could do whatever I wanted, no one could complain and everything would probably be really far left, but <laughs> I know the world's not that way and I don't want people to disagree with each other. I want people to find common ground. So, yeah. um, that's very honest. Like, maybe at my core, I'm far hard left. I tend to like not support candidates that are radical left or radical. Just like I, I'm not a fan of candidates that are radical right, just because it makes it difficult or impossible for people to agree with each other. Yeah. Um, and I want everyone to be happy or most people to be happy. So most people to yeah. be happy. Most people, <laughs> not everybody. I actually didn't know that about you. I didn't realize you were like far left. Not maybe not so much um, social issues, but like fiscal. Yeah. Fiscal issues. Are you a like, Bernie guy? No, I probably like am. Like if you, t- if you maybe describe like, like a bunch of political positions that were like relevant to Bernie, I'd probably answer a bunch of things that fall in that category, but I wouldn't want to call myself a Bernie guy because that doesn't sound, you feel like that has a stigma around it, around it. But like, I mean, like, like definitely like, uh, some of the more like socialized type fiscal issues, um, increased taxation, like things like that. Like maybe at my core, 
you know, at, at my core, I, I support them. But then when you take those concepts or like those philosophies or beliefs and have to apply them across like an entire country where people that are living in North Texas versus South Texas are in two very different situations and it's a very diverse group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, 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 it's just not something that's practical or realistic. Right. So why, why yeah. advocate for it? Why not try to find common ground? Yeah, for um, sure. I think that's a really great starting point and a really great introduction. Cause I don't think I've even shared your name yet. This is dusty, <laughs> Wright, <laughs> And, um, he is, you know, one of the best people to represent the other side thinking and to really, again, like you said, find common ground, especially if that's where your thought process is from the get go. Yeah. So do you want to jump into it? Let's do it. Okay. So our first topic is. Wait, what are, are there like rules? No. Okay. What if we get in a fight? We can, honestly. Do we need like a safe word? <laughs> <laughs> or like a timeout or like an intermission? No, I'm, I'm kidding. I hope, I hope we don't do one. I hope we don't get into a fight. We won't. We'll be fine. We'll still be friends after this. Pinky Deal. promise. Agreed. Pinky promise. Okay, so the first topic that we wanted to talk about today is Roe v. Wade. Okay, so I guess we should start with the court case itself and what the potential overturning of Roe v. Wade might mean. Okay. And then I want to jump into sort of the context around it and all of the opinions and emotions that have run rampant about it and Mm. then maybe if we have time get into you know the actual topic of abortion okay so when roe v wade was determined in 1973 it really just said that um women had a constitutional right to privacy in the 14th amendment in the due process clause of the 14th amendment Mm -hmm. and so it was not a state issue So if Roe v. Wade does get overturned, it would be because the justices found that there is no right to privacy in the Constitution and the power to give women the right to choose would go back to the states. Okay. So what are your thoughts there? I mean, as a core concept, if we try to remove the topic of abortion, it doesn't seem completely unreasonable, right? Like Mm -hmm. um, states' rights are something that um, I think most people agree are very important. Um, that the federal government shouldn't be left up to decide everything. I mean, I was literally just saying a minute ago that like people that live in uh, North Texas versus South Texas are two in two very different situations. So like, especially when you go in between two different states, like the states are completely different situations, socially, financially, uh, lifestyle-wise. So yeah, like it makes sense to um, leave things up to states' rights. But so when we talk about that though so so for this one we're saying the argument um you kind of just talked me through is that women do not have a right to privacy in the 14th amendment so from a conservative standpoint i would say it's not there okay because if you read the clause um it says in the 14th amendment like all persons citizens of the united states have the right to due process and liberty and life sure. and you know the rest of it and the argument that it hinges on is that privacy is implied in the liberty word. So like one of the factors to, for, for like a human being to have liberty is a right to privacy. Yeah. Kind of like, like that. Sure. But again, it's implied because there really technically isn't it. There's no, at least to my knowledge, any explicit mention of the right to privacy specifically. Okay. And so to me, I'm a little confused about how up in arms 
the pro-choice movement has been about the potential overturning of Roe v. Wade mm-hmm. because it still, in their mind, isn't taking away their right to choose, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think the concern is once you take away that right that, you know, it's not said specifically in the Constitution, but there's a historical uh, Supreme Court court case that kind of sets the precedent that it's implied once you take that away, then a bunch of states will remove the mm-hmm. right to choose. Once well, it gets to the state's rights level, we'll have states that are really extreme in their abortion laws versus states that are really lenient in their abortion laws in very few states that have something that might be a real, little bit more reasonable. But shouldn't it be up to the states? Maybe. <laughs> no, I don't. It's not a trick question. I'm, no. I'm genuinely, because I yeah. think there's a lot of misunderstanding and misconceptions for people who get really emotional about this topic of what this means. Yeah, and so this one's hard, and it's probably a good topic to start on because it's just hard for me to talk about as a man Sure. because it's not my body. It never will be my body, and so we're talking about things that don't impact me outside. They do impact me, but not like from my body perspective. Um, And so I always are on the side of I'm not going to sit here and advocate really strongly for someone else's body to have those rights taken away or even yeah. necessarily protected. So I'm just saying it's not one that makes me really emotional. Fair. Um, so well, that's why I think you are a good person so to ask, like right? Cause I do talking think about it and like, I'm like, I don't know. I mean, some of those points are good. Yeah, <laughs> sure. And that's what I think. Like I, uh, okay. I'll be honest. I used to be pro-choice in college. I was totally pro-choice. And I actually used to say, I believe that abortions are okay until there's a fetal heartbeat. And then I did started doing more research and it's almost like the logic behind the abortions itself or what happens during an abortion and, you know, the fallout of it. That is actually what turned me pro-life mm-hmm. instead of being just like pro-choice. Because I think when you said, you know, it's not my body, I do get that that perspective. But when it does come to abortion, it's not it's literally not the woman's body and that I guess we're going into the abortion conversation now, (laughs) but that's kind of why it's a hot button topic because then you get into, okay, well, is it a woman's body or is it not? And that's, I think at the foundation, the, the root of each sides advocating for their side. So like, what is your stance though? Like when should, like, is there any scenario or any point in carrying a baby that abortion should be, allowed like there should be an option of choice i think if the woman's life is threatened okay or like rape or incest to be honest with you a baby like a baby got born if that's how a baby came into the world there's like there's been you know people living in this world who are the product of rape and incest yeah like i feel like if we say well in case of the the state of rape or incest like that is almost saying well that person shouldn't be alive and that's what's hard because I feel like it's a slippery slope and it's a safe argument to just say in the case of rape or incest but I think if you drill down to it that baby is still a baby yeah so like from conception yeah like like what about like even the point where pills are still effective which what is like the first trimester or halfway through the first trimester okay so I read Uh the abortion procedure and at what happens at different stages of your pregnancy when you as a woman are going to get an abortion And in the first trimester, they take a suction to the woman's womb and Mm -hmm. literally pull out baby parts, like limb by limb. And there are literal um, like sonograms. Is that what it is? Showing the baby like pulling away, trying to get away from the suction. 
And it's literally when I did that research that turned me off of being pro-choice. Yeah. I mean, that's incredibly sad. I don't think there's, yeah, I, yeah, that's spooky. Spooky. (laughs) It's spooky. Good term for it is. Uh, It's uh, sad. Yeah. And that's hard. I guess like what, like, and and the question I'm asking is a realistic question, right? Because I'm saying, is there any point after a baby's conceived that like this process that we're talking about like where you abort a baby where it like doesn't make you feel sad and the answer is like no yeah but don't you feel like that's because at a fundamental level we know that that's life right because like the whole my body my choice argument works if it's just the woman's dna as soon as the moment of conception happens that dna is different yeah so that's like that's where my argument is but like the point of this conversation is to you know, hear each other out. And okay. I also kind of want to convince you to be on my side. I don't think you're (laughs) going to do that today or anytime soon. (laughs) Um, (laughs) well, and that's the thing, like that's, that's an an interesting argument. I don't think I've ever heard someone talk about it from that perspective. Like we talk about how this is a really emotional issue for a lot of people. And so, Mm -hmm. um, just looking on social media, uh, for me, like the way I'm exposed to it is through, watching the news casually through yeah. social media, through conversations when people drink too much at the bar and get, but you're probably like an, a good like example of somebody who, I mean like the majority of Americans, right. Who aren't really familiar with it and are as familiar with it as you are based on, you know, casual news viewing or casual conversations at a bar. Yeah. But for me, like the ways I've been to and exposed to the side of the argument that you're talking about are never, um, they just I just feel like there are ways that just make you feel bad if you disagree with them, right? Sure. Um, and not to say necessarily you didn't make me feel kind of bad right now because now I do. But um, I'm not trying to make no, you feel I, bad. No, I don't actually. I, well, I do feel a bad. <laughs> but, like, it, it was in a, in a way that, like, makes more sense. Like, you helped me understand a little bit more. And that's the point of this feel. podcast. But I don't think you're going to change my mind anytime soon. You know what? But Fair enough. For this one, like, it's just a topic that, like, I wish I knew more about. Yeah. Um, and I've kind of just taken the cop out of it's not my body doesn't impact my body. So I'm not going to impose restrictions on someone else's body, but I'm also not, I guess. But uh, I think like if anything, these kinds of conversations can spark curiosity and further research. Right. And maybe, maybe your research strengthens your own opinions and maybe your research makes you lean a little bit more towards my way. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) maybe kind of zooming out a little bit again. Mm -hmm. I also think it's really interesting to point out that the U.S. has like one of the most radical policies towards abortion that line up with like China and North Korea. Okay. In Western European nations like Germany, France, U.K. actually have stricter abortion laws than we do. Okay. And you would think that European nations are much more progressive as a whole, right? Yeah. I mean, if Germany and France jump off a bridge, would you do it too? I definitely wouldn't be following China and North Korea off a bridge, but here uh, we are. <laughs> no, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, I didn't know that either. Right? Yeah. Um, I just assumed it would be a lot more liberal or and have a lot, a lot less restrictions. Yeah. So what? Are, what is it like the, over there? Do you, um, you don't have to know off the top of your head. I'm just like curious. I actually don't know that off the top of my head. I would want to do more research on it, but like I think even Bill Maher, who's you know he's a pretty liberal has like said that he did his own research around the time of the Roe v. Wade leak of Mm -hmm. the draft of the opinion. And he said that he didn't know that Europe has more restrictive laws than we do. Who did that? What was his name? Bill Mayer. Isn't that the HBO guy? Like he's on one of the shows? Yeah. Okay. It's M-A-H-E-R. Yeah. 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 
okay. don't pay much attention to him, but I know he's not on the right. Yeah, I, he just pops up on like my Twitter thread sometime. I don't know much about him. But. Right. So okay. I think there's like all these different nuggets of mm-hmm. like what is actually at stake when it comes to the potential overturning of Roe v. Wade and then what that means for states' rights. Mm-hmm. We know Texas has a pretty strict abortion law. Yeah. But what would you say if I said, well, why don't, if you know, if a woman is so desperate to go get an abortion, why can't she just go to another state for it? Like, why does it have to be Texas? I mean, are we, do we realistically know, like, if we're going to end up in a situation where even the states that have the most restrictive abortion laws, like, allow residents of those states to cross state lines and get an abortion? Like, I think that's where a lot of the fear comes from isn't necessarily the fact that in some states I can get an abortion. It's what, what's going to happen in my state. Like, what mm-hmm. can be required of me? And, you know, could there point. be possible criminal, criminal penalties, yeah. you know, imposed on me for crossing state lines to get those abortions? Uh and not only that, like for me, like I'm just talking about that, like putting myself in the shoes of a woman, like what are the possible crim- criminal penalties of crossing state lines? But for other people, it's what are like the financial implications of having to travel um, to receive that service, right? Because, you know, in, in my current shoes, I'm lucky enough to be in a position where like if I needed to find a way to afford that, I could, um, you know, other people necessarily can't or it would yeah. be a lot more difficult. So, Yeah. No, that's a good point. And I didn't think about implications about crossing state lines, to yeah. be honest with you. So that's a very good bring up. I, at least from what I understand about the Texas heartbeat bill, I don't think that there's a clause about that. So I guess that's why I was asking, because mm-hmm. in my, in the context that I know of, at least our state in Texas, that wasn't even anything that had entered my brain as a possibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting, I'm just, I'm just thinking more about it. You, you caused me to think a little, um, <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. That's where that I, I think that's where a lot of the fear when we get to the whole topic of states' rights as a whole across other issues. That's mm-hmm. where you get to the fear. I mean, even when you start talking about gun control, it's what is my state going to do? What are other mm-hmm. states going like? Like when we take certain issues and we we say that they're states' rights that the federal government can't interfere. I think that's when like some of the fear comes from what states are going to be really radical. Mm-hmm. And like, do I live in one of those states that's going to be really radical? Yeah. Um, and that's where people start getting really uncomfortable not and it's not like an excuse to say okay then let's not give the states those rights right it's just i think that's where that's just where the fear comes from from someone that doesn't have this issue super high up on their list of things i'm thinking about on right. a daily basis right that that's the, i mean that's just like kind of the fear is what what's what's going to happen in, in your specific state and that's a lot harder to figure out with politics as a whole especially mm-hmm. for people that aren't paying attention to what their local congressman is doing or what their state senators are doing it, it just becomes a lot a lot yeah. scarier i guess fair and i think that's a really good or empowering if it's if you if feel you, like the states y- yeah if you agree with that yeah. whatever the states are deciding but i think that you have a good point people need to be more informed i think across the board about what's going on in their politics You know, like I used to not be that informed at all. I didn't really pay much attention to it. And then COVID happened and it was the only thing I would think about. Yeah. Um, And I think, honestly, I feel really blessed about that because it did like clue me in to, you know, certain issues that are being talked about. Can I I be really radical for a minute? And then I'm never going to be able to run for public office again because this podcast is going to Oh my gosh, I'm scared. I just hate the uh, whole thing about how you're in this country, you have a right to vote. Like other people in other countries don't have a right to vote. Like this is like one of the founding like rights of the mm-hmm. country is that you have a right to go vote. So like go out and vote no matter what. I hate that. Like as in you. Because you should be an informed voter. 
Yeah, uh, I see what you mean. You don't have a constitutional responsibility or like a responsibility as an American citizen to be an informed voter if you don't want to. Yeah. Then don't vote. That's not but radical. If you're gonna vote, that makes so much sense. Is, I don't want dumb people voting for things. But like that, that whole thing, like just go out and vote. Like it's your, and you like you tell that growing up, or like people say it to you. It's like yeah. it's, it, this is like your right. You need to use it. It's like if you're gonna use it, like do some research. Decide yeah, like be informed. What you support, and you don't have to research all fifty-two different hot topics that are at the mm-hmm. forefront of American politics. But like find a couple that you care about, find a politician or a political party that aligns with those topics and then go vote for those politicians. No, but I like, completely agree. If you're not going to take the time to do that, then don't go vote. And I'm, I'm not saying, because I think you're someone that pays very close attention to politics. I pay close attention mm-hmm. to politics. I'm not saying that people need to pay equally as close attention, but like, don't be a, what are they called? The blanket ticket voters. Straight that just ticket. Go, straight ticket voters. Like, don't, yeah. don't go do that unless you... Unless you know, unless you know political parties, unless you like, you do pay very close attention. You're like, I right. agree with every single one of these people. Right. Uh, but I think most people aren't that way. Uh, I don't even know if we're that way. You sound like my government teacher <laughs> in high school. It's just like <laughs> it's it's like the whole like just no matter what, just make sure you vote, exercise your constitutional right. Like that's it's not really like what I don't think that's yeah. what that meant. I don't know. I think it means like go out and make an informed decision, be an informed voter, or don't. Yeah. People shouldn't shame you for for not voting Mm -hmm. because you choose not to be an informed voter yeah but no you literally do sound like my government teacher from high school (laughs) and that's a compliment because she obviously was very passionate about the structure of our government and the duty and obligation we have as its citizens to be an informed voter and she said you know she wishes that there weren't even party lines that you had to vote with because you know i don't know how it is with the democrat primaries but you can't vote if you're a designated republican you obviously can't vote in Democrat primary Um, for good reason. Right. And other like vice versa. But she had the whole opinion that we should be voting based on ideology and based on platforms versus straight ticket. Yeah. So don't be a straight ticket voter. Uh, (laughs) Or Dusty will shame you. (laughs) um, And, and quit telling people to just go make sure they vote no matter what. (laughs) Because it's stupid. It doesn't make any sense at all. But what if I want the social media clout with the I voted sticker? Well, I mean, yeah, you can. they could do like I I exercise my right not to vote stickers. I exercise my right not to I'm vote. I'm too busy for this shit. I love that. I think that's great. That We went on a little bit of a tangent. It feels really, really radical in my mind because that's not what people tell you growing up and like what people yeah. just casually say to you. But, but I think you're um, not. I mean, I don't think it's radical. I think it's fair to say you need to be informed. I would like I would like to say I want everybody to vote, but I want everybody to do their research. Yeah. Right. Um, hey, babe, do you want to refill us, please? Thank you. Waiter Scott. Scott has wine, too. He's here. Hi, Scott. Hey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the wine is helping, though, isn't it? The wine is good. Yeah. I'll add the uh, caveat to this portion of the discussion, though, and say I'm not the poster boy for the pro-choice argument. Like, I don't. I haven't. And this is an area where, compared to other areas, I don't feel as strongly. I probably haven't done as much research, so. No, um, I appreciate you saying that, but I also do want to give you some credit. I think you are somebody who is very good to talk to and level set with. Because I think, I mean, it, it is such a hot button topic and it gets people very emotional and you have a very steady head on your shoulders and it's, I think this is constructive. Yeah. I think this no, conversation I, I don't, is constructive. I don't disagree at all. I just don't want, 
anyone's people listening to think this that podcast and get really offended uh, at either one of us because I'm supposed to be this person that's going to sit here and make all these great arguments for being pro-choice and it didn't. And so like that's offensive or something. Yeah, it's that's just fair. not it's just not something that I'm capable to do on this topic. But that's I think that's something to think about for anyone that agrees with with your particular stance on this position is yeah. I don't think I'm the only one that feels that way. I think there's a lot of us out there. And so like if you're going to convince us to change our blanket opinion that I have currently where like I'm pro-choice because it's not my body I'm a man and I, I don't understand some of the science behind it enough to to have a strong like emotional connection to yeah some of those decisions like how, how are you going to convince those people or change their minds yeah disclaimer me and Dusty have only our own opinions these do not reflect the opinions of each other's <laughs> political affiliations <laughs> disclaimer disclaimer yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay I think we honestly have talked through the Roe v. Wade and, you know, topic of abortion pretty in depth. Yeah, that was a good discussion. Right? Yeah. I'm feeling a little better. That yeah. was a warm-up round. Yeah, that was a good warm-up. That was. <laughs> okay, so next topic, gun mm-hmm. control. Okay, I know you're pretty passionate about this, so I'll let you start. Sure. This is just another topic that people are so emotional about. Mm-hmm. So for me, like, I didn't grow up in a house that had guns. Like, I've actually never been hunting before in my life. So the really passionate argument to like owning weapons and wanting to uh, not feel like those are going to be taken from you or like your right to own those weapons be restricted. Like it's hard for me to connect with that stance That's at the fair. same time. I it It's it's not a way that I feel, but like I get why other people feel that way. Like mm-hmm. it, It's the way they've grown up. It's the culture in their family. It's the culture in their even communities. A lot of times like with some people to varying degrees, like it's associated with their with their identity. Mm-hmm. Um so I get that I get that people feel that strongly. It's just it's not something that I feel that strongly about. Right. I, honestly, I wish like I wish I owned a bunch of guns and went out shooting all the time, and then I could sit here and be like, I own guns, so like if I'm willing to give them up, like like why you can almost like use that. As yeah, that? but I can't use that, so like sorry. Uh, <laughs> but it's just not something that I feel that passionate about. But like for me, it's just like a. Like the whole, I don't want to get too like theoretical because I'm not theoretical and so yeah. like, I was probably going to butcher this, but like. We can cut anything whole, out if you want to cut it out. Well, no, it's not, it doesn't have to be cut out. It's just like the whole idea of living in like a community or like a government um, and not having it like a free for all is like, like you sacrifice some of your rights for like the better good. Mm-hmm. Like I pay taxes towards um the government because like it benefits myself it benefits the Mm -hmm. greater good it benefits you know for certain areas like depending on what they use with that tax money with like it it benefits society as a whole um i give up you know some i give i give up you know my right to drive as fast as i want to drive because it makes the streets safer if people can get tickets for driving that fast like very like super like core concepts of just like living in a society and agreeing on a set of where you abide by rules for the good of the yeah that that uh, it is core sacrificing like some rights like some personal liberty um i don't disagree with that i think you know if we all were had you know an argument against what you just said we'd be living in anarchy right Right. like you have to you know, you have, there have to be rules in a society for it to function. Yeah. So I get, yeah, I get that. Yeah. No, fun fact. Uh, when I was in high school, I was a very big, me and Cade, uh, me and, uh, someone, <laughs> me, and, me and my friend were, uh, really big. Uh, Is Cade going to care if he's name dropped? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but, <laughs> uh, me and my buddy in high school were really big Ron Paul fans. And like, if you know anything about Ron Paul, he's like the most libertarian person yeah. ever. Isn't he Rand uh, Paul's like dad? Yeah. He's Rand Paul's father um if you want to get 
true true libertarian like extreme libertarian like it is anarchy in certain areas it's like that you know we don't need a fire department because everyone can figure out how to put out fires themselves because you have to pay of, taxes for that i think of ron swanson <laughs> yeah every yeah time. ron swanson <laughs> ron swanson except 300 million ron swansons all living as neighbors like one ron swanson is entertaining and fun uh, and a cool guy to drink a beer with probably and go camping with yeah, but 300 ron million ron swanson is an, is an absolute train wreck <laughs> I don't. I think the majority but of people think, would agree with that. But Ron probably knows that. That's why he doesn't talk about his politics. But like, very big tangent. But like, like that's like like just the idea of like giving up rights. Like, is something that like we do living in a society. So like, the argument for for people that are really passionate about guns is like, it's my right to own a firearm. Like, mm-hmm. I can't entertain that argument with yeah. as that straight blanket sentence. Because it's like, well, like so you can't give up rights. Like so kind of to streamline what I feel like I'm hearing, you're anti-guns, pretty much. I just I just don't get the argument of like it's in the Constitution. And so like we can't do anything whatsoever that infringes on that right. Because you can give up little pieces of, of that right mm-hmm. to make the world a better place, to benefit society as a whole. Yeah. Like uh, after 9-11 with the Patriot Act and everything, and now looking back on some of those things, a lot of them were probably too extreme. Mm-hmm. But like at the time, everyone was comfortable giving up some of those rights to combat, you know, right. terrorists. Uh, Fair enough. Yeah. I would say, so in doing my research about gun control on this topic, because I think it is a Another really emotional subject and a hot button, especially right now. The purpose of the Second Amendment was to protect the American citizens from a despotic government, Mm -hmm. somebody who was going to usurp and abuse governmental power and protect themselves and their family from individuals who the government couldn't control. Mm -hmm. Let's just say, okay, let's say, you know, you go home tonight. And your house gets broken into, mm-hmm. and that guy has a firearm. I'm not gonna be able to sleep tonight. Now you're walking me through this scenario. No, no, I'll pray for you. It's okay. okay. <laughs> um, but just let's just say, you know, hypothetical situation. How are yeah. you defending yourself? You know the saying: you bring a knife to a gunfight, mm-hmm. and it doesn't go well. Um, in that scenario, I'm not because I don't own a firearm. But that's what uh, I'm saying. Like, I mean, you're not gonna. Your house is not gonna get broken into tonight. Nobody knows I where you live. That. We're fine. It's okay. fine. <laughs> This uh, podcast is very, very minimal reach right now, so you're fine. Uh, yeah, yeah. My roommate's out of town, so don't don't. Don't like tell anybody that. that. Well, I assume this isn't going to get published tonight. That's true. So it's going to be a while. He'll be back in town by the time it gets published. Good He'll point. Protect me. I, I get that concept, and this is one where I'll give up a little ground and say, like, if I had a family and had yeah. children, I could realistically see myself purchasing a fire, a personal firearm for my own protection, a handgun. Yeah. That comes with all the, the terror of preventing you know someone in the house like a, like a child from from gaining access to that, which of is course. a totally separate bridge to cross. But like I I could totally make that connection of like being someone that didn't grow up in a household that that owned or used firearms now decides to go out and purchase a firearm. Yeah. Uh, my mom is the same way. Like did not grow up in an environment you know through her childhood or, or adulthood where. Um, she carried a firearm, but yeah. now she, uh, within the past 10 years, she worked for uh, Child Protective Services and uh, was going out and, and doing home visits uh-huh. and decided to get her concealed firearm license. Like, I can her. totally yeah. understand, depending on your situation, who else you have to like feel like you need to protect, like, like right. going out and going and deciding to And even just firearm. like protecting yourself too, because honestly, I have a, I probably had a very similar upbringing to you. Yeah, my dad kept you know, a handgun in the house, but I never knew where it was. And 
he never went hunting, never showed, like, you know, it was just never, we never had a gun culture in my family household either. Yeah. Uh, growing up, that was never the focus, but I do feel like, and you know, this is part of a topic that we'll talk about in a minute, but with just how divisive and, uh, how tense everything mm -hmm. has gotten lately and the rising crime has gotten a little bit out of control. I think my dad would sing a different tune now, yeah. but, but yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, you can have one opinion when you have lived in a culture where you're going sh hunting every weekend and you know, your dad's like cleaning his gun, all of his guns, yeah. you know, like on the couch, like on weekends. But I think at the end of the day, the, the biggest issue that I think a lot of people you know, coming from the right, mm -hmm. it's about, you know, being able to continue to defend yourself and not letting certain legislation infringe on my right to bear arms, right? Because, like, yeah. you d should be able to defend yourself. But how does something like, you know, if you buy a firearm right now from a licensed gun dealer, you have to go through a background check. Mm -hmm. But if you go to a gun show and buy it from a hobbyist, you don't have to complete a background check. Like, how is... Can I tell you right now, though, I literally checks? just did this research and you still do. A like, it's still law and they're, to like, do that. Buying it, on, like, in some scenarios, you're not required to, was my understanding. Like, I think... Literally, this article I was just reading, there is still federal law that requires background checks for okay. everybody, every licensed firearm dealer, even if it's private, to transfer ownership of a weapon to somebody who isn't licensed, like AKA a citizen. Like, you still have to run that background check. That's not to say it doesn't happen. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of it, because I think we can just apply this to, to something different, but like the boyfriend loophole where domestic violence convictions can't own yeah. a firearm but then like if if they're just the, dating someone but have the conviction then they can so that's straw what is, what's it called it's straw purchasing i think is the term okay. and then that's a felony so they can't do that so like if if i'm a criminal like i did something bad and violent mm -hmm. and i'm not allowed to own a firearm but i'm i'm like hey dusty buddy like i really need a gun yeah. will you go buy one for me and you go buy me buy one in your name and then give it to me you are now like guilty of a straw purchase. Okay. And I literally just researched this. So that's why no, I don't disagree with you, but like two of the, uh, like that bipartisan bill that's going through, yeah. I don't remember if it's the Senate or Congress like includes those two things. So maybe it's about firming them up and making them yeah. more clear, but like, are those two things that you support personally? A hundred percent. Okay. What, like explain to me like the, the politicians on the right side that like just blanket yeah. don't vote for those things. For sure. So is that, and, and this is where I'm a little bit interested because like from your perspective, because like those may be politicians on a bunch of other issues you support on these two specific issues you say, yeah. like you don't support the way they're voting. Is yeah. that like the NRA existing as an organization and influencing them and causing them to vote a certain way? Is that the idea that you can't disagree with your party once or you're disowned and can't be voted for? Like what is causing them to vote that way? Because that I feel like for, for years, maybe not now because now there's some bipartisan support, but for years that was preventing progress on this issue yeah no i agree and i think most everything in the bill the senate bill that you're talking about has a lot of really great language to it or the framework makes a lot of sense so i'm going to answer it in two ways okay first one is there's going to be a stipulation in that bill about red flag laws and i'm sure you've heard about that and for those of you listening who don't know what red flag laws are um it's basically when um, an individual goes to a court to file some yeah, some kind order. of like complaint against yeah. someone else who they think is unfit to bear 
firearms themselves or their harm to themselves or harm to other people. But the issue with a lot of conservatives that a lot of conservatives have with that is, okay, great, but it depends on who's the person filing that court order and how is it going to be enforced? Because think about it this way. If, you know, someone's mentally ill Mm -hmm. and mentally unfit to, you know, possess firearms, they should not have anything close to that in their hands, right? But what's determined as mentally unfit? Let's think about, like, COVID. You and I, again, opposite sides of the aisle. What happens if, like, I got really, really pissed at you because you still wore a mask everywhere? Yeah. And I said, Dusty's crazy. So I'm going to go to the courthouse and I'm going to file some kind of order Uh to keep you from possessing firearms. That's a little bit of an abuse of the law, right? So from that stipulation, it really depends on how the text is written. Agree. So... I think we're finally at a place in society where we're figuring out how to write that text in a way I that hope can get so. enough people on board <laughs> to vote for it. But like for the longest time, it wasn't like, let's find a, a way to write the text correctly. It was like, I'm not voting for this because yeah. of the scenario you just right. brought up. And maybe that's um, yeah. the blame probably lays on both sides of the aisle. The thing for sure. that has, and my, the way I feel about this issue is that what is probably going to be best for this country is a mixture and it, for, with mm-hmm. this specific issue of addressing an increase in gun violence is going to be a mixture of policies that make both sides of the aisle uncomfortable yeah like, like things, compromising is things when that both sides leave without well, being happy well things that put focus on on mental health reform and making school safer oh my gosh i completely agree with you i increase, seriously so agree with you but things that like also make it more difficult for just the concept of a human yeah. being to own a yeah. gun and like that's what drives me crazy after the uvalde shooting was you know uh republicans would propose something that makes school safer and Democrats would say that doesn't do anything to combat right. the idea of owning a gun. I'm not going to vote for it. It's like, just give me like, yeah. just hit one of the, check one of those boxes and vote for it. And then let's do something out. Like, let's yeah. just, it's like, going it, to be, like this isn't, doesn't need to be a part of it's not, issue. it's not one, like it's not going to be one bill. It's not going to be one regulation, one policy, and it's going to make you uncomfortable and it's going to make yeah. someone else on the other side of the aisle that has a completely different political opinion uncomfortable. But when we do enough of those things, like yeah. it'll start to make a difference. No, for sure. And th- I definitely agree with you. I think mental health is something we absolutely need to be talking more about and making a bigger deal of. And I think increasing security in schools is the second thing. But to answer sort of your question about why wouldn't Republicans support that, like any kind of like Senate bill like that. Mm -hmm. So the other part of that is a lot of people say that the laws wouldn't be enough because criminals are still going to break those laws. I was reading some report earlier and it talked about how the majority of criminals who like can't possess firearms get them anyway by theft, by black market, by getting their girlfriend or friend or family member or boyfriend to, you know, buy and purchase for them. The idea is that there's still people who have the intent of getting their hands on a gun mm-hmm. will. And so, yes, I totally agree there need to be you know, universal, I actually do think like universal background checks need to happen. That has been a federal law since like 94. Yeah. I just think policies, yes, but like, how do you actually combat it? How do you actually enforce it? Right. But there's like a difference between making it harder and make it impossible. Like, 
Yeah. There's nothing you can do to make it impossible to purchase a firearm. Somebody wants to purchase a firearm. Okay, but there's nothing you can do to make it impossible for somebody to get their hands on crack cocaine. But you can make it harder. Like if I gave you 30 minutes to come up, go find crystal meth, maybe you could do it because we're... (laughs) Uh, no, I mean, this is a very nice neighborhood, but like you could probably find a less nice area pretty quickly. Maybe you could do it, but give an 18 year old 30 minutes to come up with crack cocaine, depending on where they live. It might like in a nicer neighborhood, it might be completely, it it might be significantly harder, Yeah, which is the same idea as if an 18 year old is hell bent on getting access to a firearm, they can probably figure it out, but we can do different things to make it a lot more difficult. Fair enough. Which gives the world more time to maybe pick up on what, on what they're trying to do right the red flags can pop up or it gives mm-hmm. them a chance to rethink the decision they're going to make or it gives them a chance to have access to uh mental health yeah. you know, things that could help like we can make it harder yeah it's so easy to point holes in those arguments though because it won't make it impossible it's, right. it's impossible to make it impossible i guess i just want to know and you know don't feel like you need to come up with an answer but if we already have universal background checks in place if every single licensed firearms dealer is required by federal law to conduct background checks on people who want to buy a firearm from them, then what else, like what else can they do? I mean, I think, and, and I, I don't know the answer to yeah, this, and but you're let's, not, you let's don't, look yeah. at the, you know, 20 worst mass shootings and, you know, the most recent 20 worst mass shootings, which probably don't have to go back far that far to reach 20, which is kind of sad. And let's let's just go over the the scenario and and how each one of those people purchased a firearm, and let's just see if there's something that we can do to make it harder to, to purchase those firearms. When mm-hmm. we had the Las Vegas mass shooting um, from the 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 top of the yeah. the casino onto the the floor of that festival, he was using a bump stock, right? And I think we outlawed bump stocks. Wait, what are then. what are bump stocks? It's like you can't own a machine gun, right? You can own a semi-automatic gun that yeah. like you have to press down the trigger each time to fire a bullet you can't own one where you if you hold it down it just, it keeps just fires, shooting. fires a bump stock bounces off your body to where it basically makes it okay. a machine gun oh wow like, a bump, like literally bumping like back bump and forth it. which uh-huh. makes you press the trigger uh-huh. and those have been outlawed since then so like great example like let's, let's look at each of those 20 different ways and and see and, and in some in some of those 20 there's not going to be a good answer yeah like, there's not anything that can be done yeah uh, and that's where hopefully we can look at making schools safer and mental health reform in the country. Let's, let's look at those things and find ways to improve that. And and maybe that can start to address those areas. But yeah, it sucks because anytime it's, it's just such a a complicated topic. And anytime you, you suggest something, not us because we're having a reasonable discussion, but like anytime something is suggested, it's like, no, but that wouldn't have worked in this situation. It's like, okay, but it could have worked in one of the situations. Right. No, I, I actually completely agree with you. And I think most people probably would agree that mental health and, increasing security in schools should be the two biggest priorities when it comes to combating mass shootings at schools. Like, okay, so did you did you get a chance to watch Matthew McConaughey's press briefing? Uh, I didn't. I saw clips from it. Okay, so I watched it. It's 20 minutes long, and I cried. Literally cried. Yeah. It was so sad. He went Probably through... Probably I didn't watch it. Oh, my God. He went through four or five stories of like specific families whose kids were lost in that mass shooting. And it was just the most heartbreaking thing to watch, but he is a responsible gun gun owner. You know, he knows like he's literally owned guns, but he said in the, in the press briefing that he's learned from a young age, how to revere. And I'm using that word cause that's what yeah. he used the power that guns have. 
And I think that's the difference too, is like we all need to be responsible gun owners. And I think the issue with some of these policies when it comes to gun control, two issues. One, if we go too far, we're punishing law-abiding, responsible gun owners who didn't do anything against the law. Sure. And the second is even if we do implement some of these background checks, some of these mass shooters would still slip through the cracks. And so understanding mental health signs and understanding when there are certain individuals who are getting to the point where they might commit something horrific like, like that and making schools safe enough to keep those shooters at bay. I agree with you that those are two very important things that need to be addressed, but I think they have to come with increased restrictions against gun ownership too. Um, I think it's a combination of, of all three. I mean, we've just talked about some of them where like we we both agree with like Mm -hmm. uh, the boyfriend loophole and like background checks for gun lobbyists or or private gun uh, purchases. But um, you know, so I think, I think both of us support like, laws that are written the right way that yeah. would make those laws either more de- defined or, or find a way to implement them better. But like, I think that the mental health reform and the protecting our schools better has to come with some of those things too. And it doesn't have to be all in one bill and then we vote for it. And if it doesn't include a little bit of both, we say no because it doesn't include the other thing. Like we can right. knock at it, knock it out as soon as we can get to each individual thing. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't think we're going to see like a statistical change in the shootings that we're seeing unless we, we tackle all three of those yeah. areas. I wonder why, and this is literally an open-ended question, like why do you feel like this has happened so quickly? I feel like in the last couple of months, seeing all these mass shootings, it's just ramped up. I, literally just open-ended. I don't know. I mean, crime increases in the, the summer because uh, the what, like yeah. statistically it does, especially in, in, in uh, cities where it gets really cold in the winter. I don't know if that's part of it. I don't know if like some of the lockdowns around COVID had anything to do with it. Maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. You also, I think you also get the, I saw it in the news and now it's something I've been thinking about and maybe I'm going to go do it now. Like the, not the copycat, like, but like the motivation that it motivates yeah. other people. That's a really good point. I almost feel like the news kind of sensationalizes it because I think having like this crazy, dramatic, horrific tragedy that occurs is obviously something you should report on, but mm-hmm. also it almost spikes ratings because everyone's paying attention to it, and that's how you get your numbers. You're saying the news is sensationalist? Yeah, 100% Crazy. I am. So weird, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so when the pandemic hit, this is just a quick aside. I, I worked at the Dallas Morning News, mm-hmm. and we had we saw like significant increases in year-over-year traffic to the site than we'd seen before. But it was because everybody was freaking out. There was this global crisis and everybody was trying to figure out what was going on all the time. And so I almost feel like the news has been trying to bring people back to tune in by sensationalizing everything. Yeah. And this brings me back because, you know, speaking about the Matthew McConaughey press briefing, but he talks about how most Americans are more in consensus than we probably realize. Yeah. Based on how much news is sensationalized and based on just how divisive the culture has gotten. But he even said secure and safe schools are something that really needs to make a difference. And he also said that, you know, we got to make it to your point, make it harder for the bad guys to get the guns, Mm -hmm. which, yeah, I agree. He also said mental health care is big as well as better security in schools, which we've already talked about. He said we also need to restrain sensationalized media coverage. 
which I think we could both agree on. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how you do that, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know how you do it either. I think maybe through these podcasts, I would hope. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, he also says we need to restore family values and American values. He said we need to come back to what it means to be a responsible gun owner. Cause I think there's, I, I feel like it's gotten lost, you know, yeah. through all of this. Cause people who do own guns, I think understand the power that they have. And I, I think if, if in the scenario we we're talking about a minute ago, if we go back to the last 20 mass shootings, I think there's a couple in there that, um, mm-hmm. some of the, the way that the, the gun got into that person's hand was irresponsible gun ownership. Right. So yeah, yeah I agree. A hundred percent. You know, he also mentioned that we need to implement red flag laws and consequences for those who abuse them, which is what I was talking about before. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing that he said, which I actually would really love your thoughts on. He thinks we should raise the minimum wage to purchase a rifle to 21. Yeah. Right now it's 18. Mm -hmm. I actually do agree with that as well. Yeah. But then I also think we should say you can't vote until you're 21 and you can't get go and enlist until you're 21. Okay. And we talked about the voting issue a minute ago. So right. I agree with <laughs> so you. you're actually it's, on board with that too. <laughs> so like with, with the argument that you presented at the beginning of this discussion, which I don't necessarily disagree with is, and is stronger than a lot of the other arguments around this area that I've heard is like the, the idea of, of owning a gun to protect yourself, your property and your friends or family, like people yeah. that matter to you. Um, what, who is it? Like it, we're talking about 18 year olds. Like that's not the right. same no, as, exactly. as you and I, you or I at, at 28 years old, holding a firearm. Yeah. So like the argument, I, I understand, like it makes sense why you support that because like the, the way you feel and like the argument that you presented, like doesn't fall in line with like the, mm-hmm. the concept of an 18 year old holding a gun. I just, and, and yeah, I agree with you. Like I, I can, I can totally follow the train of thought with people wanting to own firearms to protect themselves. And so yeah. like if that's the argument you were using for guns, why do 18 year olds need to own a firearm? I don't know. I don't either. I mean, and especially when it comes to these mass shootings, I feel like the perpetrators have consistently been like 18 year olds maybe 17, 18, 19 across the board yeah. average. I mean, I also think, you know, we, our brains don't really even develop until we're what? 25, 29. I'm hoping <laughs> mine will get there next year. You're still developing. Yeah. <laughs> but so, um, and that's, that's why I say that the only way we're going to see like a meaningful statistical change is through a combination of, uh, protection of restriction and of mental health reform because Mm -hmm. like when we talk about these mental health reform things that's the whole topic in and of itself that uh, neither one of us is probably qualified to talk about but we could qualified people could sit here and talk about on podcast for eight hours about how to address that the correct way but like whatever we decide to do there if it is the correct decision will probably take years before it makes a meaningful impact on the people that it's supposed to impact so like maybe eventually we we do the perfect mental health reforms and end up in a situation where 18 year olds can't own firearms because those that are unstable like have been you know addressed and like we've been able to identify them or we've been able to like like help them get the help they receive right for sure but like that's probably not going to happen for like another like decade like then i would say then in the short term in the short term though then i think the biggest thing is to make sure schools are more secure yeah, and increase gun restrictions, right? Not letting the eighteen-year-old own the firearm equally. Like, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not saying it's one's more important than the other. I'm yeah. Just, I'm. I'm just saying. I think it'll take both. No, I agree. I think it needs to be to your point where you know both sides have to compromise, and you walk away not super happy with the result. Yeah. I think 
a lot of people probably agree with with what we're talking about. Yeah, um, your your arguments are interesting, and I feel like this is a really good discussion because they didn't revolve around like the the whole idea of the, the constitutional right protect yourself from mm-hmm. oppression. You mentioned that a little bit, but like yeah. like that wasn't didn't seem like a, a fundamental like core argument that you chose to talk about right. this time. Um, <laughs> no fair. I have much stronger opinions against people that that talk about that argument. Well, the whole, I just like, feel come like and it take it. They're gonna take my guns. Thing. Yeah. I well, I just feel like it comes off flat. You know, because it's like okay, if you hear somebody say that, then yeah. you're like okay, well, I can't have a rational conversation with you about it. Yeah, a hundred percent. That's why I don't. That's why I'd, I'm not receptive to that argument uh, yeah. whatsoever. But you didn't have that argument, so uh, it made it a bunch better conversation. But it would be very interesting to hear from someone that has that mm-hmm. point of view, because yeah. uh, I feel like there's a lot of them out there. Yeah, uh, we live in we North live in Texas. Texas. Yeah, uh, there's hundreds of them, like within an, a mile radius of us. Yeah, th- agreed. It comes off flat. It makes it hard to have a rational discussion. But. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for people that don't take that point of view, I feel like most I, people don't yeah. take that point of view. And like those people are able to have a much more rational discussion like we're having. I'm also interested, like those people that have such that passionate point of view that we're saying might be a little bit irrational. Mm-hmm. Like if there's a way to change the way they feel. Like Cause if, I, well, I feel like when everyone says like, you can't take my guns, then yeah. for people who do disagree with it, it comes off as just possessive versus like, okay, well why? <laughs> Yeah. You know, they don't answer the question of, well, why do I want my guns? they're mine. Yeah. I want them now. They're mine. They're yeah. mine. So, yeah. I'm glad that, you know, we can find some common ground on that, though. Yeah. Which I feel like is a really good segue into our last topic. Okay. Cancel culture. All right. Okay. So, like I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, this used to be called the Uncanceled Podcast. Sure. Because I was really passionate, especially, honestly, like, probably right before the pandemic. Really passionate about how cancel culture was just almost encroaching I felt like in every aspect of life you couldn't have a conversation with people and feel like you weren't being judged for your certain beliefs and I don't know I almost feel like it's permeated through society since then and I feel like it's also gotten worse since COVID people are just honestly pissed and I think the media has done a really bad job of dividing each side mm-hmm. more to the point where if you and I weren't friends, maybe I would assume we just wouldn't like each other because we yeah. had different political belief systems. Yeah. Right. And I just think that's such a wrong way to go about life, especially in this country, because the whole point of being in a democracy is to be able to have these conversations and to be able to say, okay, well, here's what I think about this. Here's what you think about this and come to a consensus about something the point of like debating at the end of the day is to show a better argument and convince the other person that maybe, maybe the other side has something to offer. Yeah. Well, I mean the whole idea of cancel culture is that there's no such thing as a gray area and like everything we do in life is a gray area. I mean, these conversations that we're having going into this conversation, I'm pro-choice, you're pro-life, you describe yourself as, as anti gun control with an asterisk next to it. And I would describe myself as pro gun control with an an asterisk asterisk next to it. And like a whole bunch of different issues that we could probably find some common ground in. And those are all gray areas because no topic exists in a gray area. And so the idea of cancel culture is that there's not a gray area. And if I don't like what it is you're saying, then I, you know, I have the ability to prevent you from speaking on my university campus or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, all of the different things or, socially destroying you into oblivion over Twitter or social media or like whatever phrase you want to use for it. Socially destroying you into oblivion. Like there's no, there's no concept of gray area in 
the cancel culture and i'm using yeah. like quotes because that can mean a lot of different things but like everything is a gray area and again not to get theoretical but like we have a, a government that was designed to prevent a majority from ruling yeah. over the minority and we have, yeah. and it was also designed to prevent an oligarchy ruling over the minority like the only way that can happen is through compromise yeah and through through the idea of cancel culture and the way that's like permeated through our society and through the news and through social media like that gray area gets removed that idea of compromise gets removed mm-hmm. and it just like i don't think it has good effects for our society or the I functioning agree. of our government we've seen cancel culture hit its peak over and over and over again you like Trump getting uh, canceled from Twitter. Yeah. I would love actually, I would actually really like your thoughts on that. Cause I know you don't like Trump. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Do you Trump. think he should have been canceled from Twitter? Was there a specific tweet? Like it's hard to remember just cause so much has happened since then. Like I don't, they I don't want to give an answer. And then there was like a specific tweet that I didn't yeah. think about. No, without getting too off topic. Cause I do want to keep it on cancel culture. This is the January 6th stuff. We're not going to go down that road. <laughs> but, but I'm, I'm talking about his tweet specifically. Yeah. So his tweet specifically, in my opinion, didn't, encourage and incite violence he said peacefully march to the capitol yeah and that tweet was cited by twitter as the reason he got booted i mean i i am sympathetic with the argument that twitter is a private company and can do whatever they want if they want to ban you they can i'm also sympathetic with the argument that twitter is like such an essential function of our society that like you can't take someone that is that important and yeah. remove their ability to communicate with the rest of the world i'm sympathetic to both sides okay but i want to hear you kind of put your stake in one or the other because then i want then i want to answer to it no i don't think you should have been banned from twitter okay what i was going to say about you being sympathetic to the fact that twitter's a private company i would agree but there was some legislation going through about trying to put parameters around social media companies because they were considered the public square And so, yes, Twitter is a private company, but because they are a public square, I feel like they're also subject to... Certain oversight, public square, whatever the phrase you want to use for it, it becomes such like an essential way that we communicate Yeah, that removing someone from that potentially is a violation of their... And I also think it gets too political because when you take a company like Twitter and also a company like Facebook and also a company like Google, who are all like a little bit more left-leaning and they are all private companies and they all decide what they want to see on a specific platform. Yeah. You know, that really like it does when it trickles down, it does censor certain people who have opposing viewpoints. Would you disagree? No. And and that's why I'm super sympathetic. I'm super receptive to that argument. And and that's why I say I'm, I'm respective to the whole Twitter is a private company and, um, yeah, and it, and it can do whatever it want argument, but like yeah. I, I give the answer of no, I don't think you should be banned because like the argument that you're presenting, I'm way more receptive, yeah, I'm more receptive to than the other. The I public agree. square argument, the censoring argument, I agree. I just like wonder where this all came from. You know, I Cancel really culture. I know, <laughs> but it just makes me so sad because we all used to live in a society where you could disagree with each other and still hug it out at the end of the day. And now I feel like it's it's almost this combination of a sensationalized media with certain platforms banning other people and sparking all this sort of controversy on both sides of the aisle where it's just like leftists are horrible and people on the right are also horrible and everybody hates each other. Like, I don't know how we come back from it. That's, yeah, agreed. I feel like we're more divided now than we were in, during the Civil War, almost. Is that too, like, extreme to say? probably yeah you think so I, you think there's a way back 
Oh, uh, to compare it to the Civil War, I don't. I, that's why I was saying like maybe that's a little too extreme. But I don't. There, yeah. there is a way back, but I don't know what the. I don't think it's an easy answer. I guess the reason I compare it to the Civil War is because I feel like the fundamental difference between the Union and the Confederacy was about slavery, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like since then, we've really overcome that. And I feel like people on each side of the aisle just hate each other. Yeah, I just, and maybe I'm totally wrong, but. Our parents were here at our age, not with a podcast because they didn't have that technology, but yeah. saying the same thing. Like, I feel like we're more divided than we've ever been. And I feel like their parents at one point were saying that, too. Yeah. And I I think it I agree with you, like, since the Civil War, like, this may be the worst it's ever been, like, sure. on the fringes. But, like, I think it also, like, ebbs and flows. Like, it gets really bad. And right now it's really, really bad. But, like, it gets really bad and then it gets really good. Mm-hmm. I don't, I hate to say it, but like sometimes it's like the, the global events, global catastrophes that like bring, bring people, people together, together and unite them. The world wars of the past, September 11th, like it takes one of those catastrophic significant events to unite the, the, the country, even if it's just for a little while. A Do you year. feel like something has to happen for us to all come back? I don't think it has to happen. I, what, where I was going with that conversation is I, I worry about if we get to a point where one of those events does happen and it doesn't work, yeah. like it doesn't unite us all. Like yeah. that's, that's where to answer your question, that's where we get to the point where like it's, there's no coming back from it. It's mm-hmm. where one of those events happen and it doesn't work. Yeah. Well, this conversation gives me hope. Honestly, I know we were both a little nervous coming into this, which is why the wine <laughs> was a requirement. The wine's good. It's good. Yeah. I don't drink wine very much, but it's, I liked it a lot. I love that. Well, thank you. I do want to round out this episode by having you rate this wine from one to 10. Okay. Um, if one is Franzia. Like box wine. Yeah, like box box wine. Uh, not to call specific brands out, but Franzia. <laughs> if 10 is like wine that I've had in like Napa. Or like, like Silver Oak. Like, like the really, really, really nice one. I, I can't think of any brands off. But like a, like a, a vineyard, like go to a vineyard yeah. and taste the wine. If that's a 10, I'm going to give this a seven wow no i'm sorry a six. Oh. yeah six in a good way poor miomi m-e-i-o-m-i may yomi yomi is this like a california wine yeah you know what at least a seven maybe an eight because like if, oh. you, if we were sitting in napa right now and you poured this for me it'd be, like, be like this is oh, phenomenal that's like a nine yeah. yeah fair enough yeah you're taking into account the fact that we're in texas in texas yeah but if you remove the environment from it and just taste the wine then it's, like it's good. It's really good. This is the one that I would, next time I, I have a reason to buy wine, I'd, I'd buy this for sure. I love that. It's yeah. good. It has like a smooth, it doesn't have a bite. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Does it have legs? Did we look at that? <laughs> the, I see the legs. That's a, oh, 8.5. Nice. Ooh, slowly crawling up. Yeah. Appreciate the extra thought, Dusty, because I feel like we're going to get this wine up to a 10. Yeah. We this compromised on the taste of the wine. We yeah. did. Just like we compromised on a lot of things, I feel go. like. All right, Dusty, thank you so much for coming on. Where can everybody find you? Um, on I'm making. I'm you not gonna throw out my Twitter. <laughs> Nobody needs to see my Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Dub nasty. D u b n a s s t y. Um, quick story. I stole that Instagram handle from my roommate. His name's Derek. College roommate. His name's Derek. He um, when Derek Jeter retired, he changed his Instagram handle to Jared Dieter as like a temporary tribute <laughs> and I just stole it and refused to give it back. So Dub Nasty has no meaning to it. Uh, I don't even think I like the Instagram handle, but I'm still uh, 
squatters rising. I think it's forever dub nasty. Yeah. You are forever dub nasty. Yep. It'll stick. Yeah. People call me dub nasty. I'm like, that's actually my roommate, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you dub nasty for coming and joining me on this podcast. I really appreciate the conversation and I'm hoping that more people will listen to this and find something to agree with. Yeah. It Whether, was fun. It was fun. And come back anytime. And when this goes live, feel free to rate it five stars. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Let's hear the outro. Here we go. Thanks, y'all.